0: Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, a.k.a. TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, at underscore, NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about everything you need to know about meetings. From generals to staffing, how do you get in the room, make an impression, and what to avoid? Let's find out.
1: On this week's Paper Scraps, Alex and I are going to be discussing a thing that we did a little while back at the end of August called Script Chat. It was a fun little thing that we did over Twitter. Basically, we were invited to be guests on this weekly discussion where people chat about TV writing and screenwriting in general. Our little topic was writing your first pilot. Now you can find the full transcript for this chat over Twitter in our show notes. And we were basically just being asked questions and spouting off answers as quick as we could in the space of a tweet.
0: Um, <laughs> I think that was the time when Twitter was only 160 characters. Oh yeah, it's, it's more I, now. Yeah. We could have been giving more insightful answers, which is what
1: we're hoping to do right now because a couple of those questions were really good and we wanted to I mean a lot of them are good, but a couple of them we hadn't <laughs> really covered fun. before on the podcast. So we wanted to bring them up here for our listeners and go into a a little more detail.
0: Right. I mean, a lot of those questions were sort of relevant to our PT30 episode, which is our most popular episode relating to writing your first TV pilot. But there were, as Nick said, a couple of questions that we weren't really able to get too much in depth until right now. So one of those questions comes from Chris Headley, who says, is there an ideal genre to write for these days? What is the most popular in your opinion?
1: So I would say to that, and what I did say on Twitter was that I think that's the wrong way to go about approaching it i think that that's perhaps the wrong question to be asking because it's not about what's the most popular or what people are going to like it's about what you want to write and that's what your whole career is about is you need to be doing something that you're passionate about and that you can really put your heart and soul into and so you shouldn't be trying to write to the trends or write to what you think will sell
0: yeah i completely agree uh in fact nick it was what i answered not you look at twitter darn it um yeah i completely agree with nick on this it really is about sort of, especially when you're first starting out, it really is about how are you going to break from the mold? And usually breaking from the mold doesn't mean fitting in that mold. It means doing something different. Now that doesn't mean you should discount rules and essentially this entire podcast and everything we're trying to explain, but it does mean doing something unique to you and what you're passionate about specifically. Yeah, I
1: mean look at all of these big name showrunners that have these huge deals in places. You got Shonda, you got Ryan Murphy. They have their own very unique takes on the genres and the things that they are writing. They are not copying what came before them. They are doing them and they're doing it well. And even looking at successful
0: TV shows, I mean Breaking Bad and Mad Men were two spec scripts that nobody wanted until AMC said yes. So really my point is, write a spec script get everybody in town to refuse you, and then go to AMC, and I'm sure they will take it.
1: (laughs) That's the surefire recipe for success. So we also had another tweet from Colin Leiberg. He asked, how much of the rest of the series or seasons should you have planned?
0: I feel like that depends whether you're writing a comedy or drama. On the drama end of the spectrum, I'm of the mind actually that you should know broad points of your show, especially if you are seeding in some mystery in the pilot. However, I don't ascribe to the notion that you should have a fully fledged Bible before you write page one of your pilot.
1: Yeah, I think that it depends on how heavily serialized your show is going to be. If it's a hard reset, like a lot of comedy, you can get away with just having a very strong engine that's apparent in your pilot and then having maybe three to five little log lines, synopses of other episodes, just so people see how does this engine repeat and do you have some other cool ideas that can go with it. But yeah, like Alex said, with drama at most, I would say, have a rough idea of the outline of your first season and how it might continue.
0: Yeah. And again, that ties back to what people are going to be asking you about that project in those meetings. Essentially, they want to know, okay, You've got a really cool concept or a really cool execution of that episode, but what is going to be episode two and so forth. Now that doesn't mean you should know what episode 200 is, but it does mean on the base level, you should understand sort of the the broad character arcs because you are the writer of that pilot and characters are the most important thing in your pilot. Another question we wanted to tackle is from Sarah Newman. And Sarah asks, where do you most often see pilot scripts fall short? What makes certain pilots stand
1: out in the crowd? My response to that and kind of tying in with what we were just talking about is the ones that fall short to me are pilots that don't make it clear how the show will work, that you don't see that recurring engine or how it could possibly continue. Maybe it was a story that was actually better told as a feature and someone has just written it as a pilot, but it really has that self-contained arc that doesn't allow it to continue as a series. I also said I think that pilots... That don't distinguish their characters well enough up the top. And they have you asking, wait, who was that again? Who was this guy? Like, if you ever have to scroll back and reread the character introductions to go, wait, who was that again? Like, something has
0: gone wrong. Yeah. So many shows have like an ensemble cast, especially on the one hour front, when in my mind, they don't really need that ensemble. It really is about a core group of characters, not 10 different people who most of them in that pilot in those 50 pages, we can't really distinguish.
1: I think as well, for me, pilots that don't really say anything beyond just here are some random events, you know, something that I feel that pilots really need to explore a deeper meaning theme or human truth, something that people can relate to so that it's elevated just above random happenings and and funny (laughs) lines, you know, I
0: I definitely agree, uh, especially if you're writing something complex and that ties back to my own answer to that question which was that in my mind there's a tendency with people who write their first pilots ever to kind of go insane and throw everything at the wall and see what sticks be it with the world or just plot twist or really heavy story elements and if there's no execution to back up interesting concepts then it just cannot hold up to scrutiny i mean high concept is not inherently better than low concept, especially if you're writing a pilot. I mean, an emotionally compelling procedural pilot will get you further than something that's really epic but completely incomprehensible.
1: Yeah, a high concept might get you someone to read it off of a logline. But if you can't execute on that concept and you're really struggling with it, then, yeah, you're much worse off than just tackling something achievable but, you know, real.
0: That's like the ultimate blue balling because you're teasing that element. And that sounds awesome. And then you read it and it's perhaps one of the worst things you've written. I mean, that's worse than not having that. I think that
1: one of the most common notes that I give on scripts or, you know, things that I'm reading to potentially, you know, be represented by the company i work for is that i will say this had a lot of potential you know they did have a great idea and that's why i requested it but unfortunately it just wasn't executed on the page and so you know they still got a lot of work to do before it gets to that point wow
0: that was me in high school a lot of potential <laughs> <laughs> and what
1: happened from there this podcast <laughs> <laughs> all right let's get into the episode
0: Alright, let's talk about meetings, but first of all, let's figure out the different kinds of meetings.
1: So, the most common one you're going to run into are general meetings, or generals. These are general get-to-know-you's at production companies, studios, networks with producers, etc. You can take generals with the executives in current programming, which is essentially priming the pump for staffing on a show, or you can take generals with executives in the development side, which is more them getting to know you and you getting to know what they're looking for before you might come in with an actual pitch prepared as well as maybe projects that they might need writers on if safe if looking for features or they have a property they want adapted to TV and you could come up with a take
0: on that priming the pump I thought this was a PG podcast anyway <laughs> uh, I mean some people may actually think that general meetings are a waste of time because you're not gonna be getting that straight job offer at the end of it but in my mind, there are opportunities everyone should take advantage of. First off, obviously you're putting yourself out there, but more importantly, you're going to be meeting decision makers or even future decision makers if you're meeting lower level executives. And you're going to be curating a long-term relationship that will be critical once you are trying to get staffed on a TV show. And a lot of people have to sign off on you before you receive an offer when you're getting staffed. So don't underestimate the value of those general meetings.
1: There's a saying that every general meeting is a specific meeting. You just don't know what it's for. Like they've always got projects and things going on. They might be considering you for, so making a good impression at a general meeting is important, even if it just seems like a general, hi, how are you?
0: It's almost like a pilot version of meetings.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Um,
0: Moving on to the next kind of
1: meeting. What are we doing next? Staffing meetings are the real meat of... the meat of meetings. (laughs) The meat Uh, of meetings. (laughs) Uh, These tend to happen after a general meeting. So if they have met you, read you and they like both yourself and your material as well as feel that you might be a good fit for a show that they have coming up or they may be filling the gaps in the room in between seasons you'll be brought in to meet with the execs in charge of staffing now they may be the same ones you met earlier or they're often higher ranking execs like vps svps etc as well as the showrunner of the show you're being considered for and this is usually the final stage before you will be offered a job or not so make it count
0: and really there's a distinction to be made here between networks and executives are going to be meeting versus shorteners and executive producers. I mean, shorners especially are there to meet with people they'll be spending weeks and months with during that show. So it is truly about your personal touch in those meetings. They're not the final decision makers usually, but they do have the most to say about who they want on staff. So you need to be appreciated by both ends, actually, because if the shorner loves you, but the network is kind of dead set against you for some reason, then you'll probably be on the losing end of that meeting and you're not going to be getting the job so be friendly from both sides
1: yeah i would say it depends on the sure runner if there's someone that has a lot of clout it can absolutely be their decision and their decision to learn and the network doesn't have as much say in it but if they're a younger sure runner someone newer and the network is really holding their hand through this then it is equally or even more so important to be making those impressions on either side
0: Yeah, I'm not expecting people listening to this, if this is their first staffing meeting, to meet with uh, Shonda or Berlanti on their first show, but who knows? Yeah, and
1: sometimes you may only get to meet with a a co-EP or another executive producer who's not the showrunner because they're too busy running their show or doing something like that, and that could be another intermediary step before actually meeting the showrunner. I think some people have been staffed without even meeting the showrunner because they are so busy running seven shows or something. So, you know, it really just depends.
0: And that's usually when people have a strong number two. Last but not least... What do we have, Nick? Also pitch
1: meetings. And now we have actually gone into these in more detail in PT15 about pitching. But all of the meeting etiquette we're about to discuss here is pretty well applicable to pitch meetings as well. That said, we are going to be focusing more specifically on staffing and general meetings in this episode. So that's all well and good, but let's discuss how you actually go about getting one of those meetings. Some of these methods we're about to discuss were mentioned in our networking episode,
0: which was PT5, but we're going to go into a little more detail on them now. So the first method to getting a meeting is actually through cold emails. Now, when I say cold emails, I don't mean emails out of the blue, because the email you're going to be sending out must be relevant to something the person you're contacting has done. And this ties back to the meeting people PT episode that we mentioned. Essentially, you're trying to build a rapport with a stranger from scratch, and that usually means you're not going to be asking them for a meeting out of the blue unless it is warranted. If you think you have a strong case to connect with that person, then don't be afraid to do so. That's the point of a cold email. But you've got to show that you actually vouch for it to begin with. For example, you have a mutual connection or you've entered and won a prestigious competition. And you also have to connect that to why you're reaching out to them. Maybe you saw them at a specific TV festival and you love their presentation about a topic. Whatever it is, you've got to be personal in that email. That said, it's always better to ask for advice than an opinion. You rarely want, in that first email, to ask, okay, what's your thoughts on grabbing coffee, Nick? Versus, okay, here's a cool article I found. What do you think about it, Nick? I think there's a difference in approach there.
1: You're opening up a dialogue that may lead to the opportunity to meet with them. You're not just emailing going, hi, I'm a writer, you don't know me. Can I have an hour of your time? God, You know, like that's, no one's gonna, they're too busy for that, so... The next way that you can get these meetings is through connections. Like we've been saying this whole time, by far the most common way that people get these meetings, especially when you're unwrapped, but even often when you are is referrals from friends of friends, uh, people's assistants, coworkers, et etc. I think the best way to get a meeting like that is by being offered the referral without having to ask. Like we've been saying, if you make real connections and friendships and you're open and proactive about making it known that you're a writer and what kind of stuff that you like to write, people will naturally volunteer to introduce you to other people. Uh, it's something that I love doing myself. It's, it's like matchmaking. You know, it feels good. It benefits you. It benefits the writer and the exec uh, that you know to make these introductions if you believe in their talent everybody wins. Now you can straight up ask your friends and acquaintances if they wouldn't mind introducing you to someone that they know at X company, but you should be very tactful and respectful about doing so. You don't want to make them uncomfortable or feel pressured into doing something they don't want to do. Like we've mentioned before, when people recommend you, they are putting their own reputation on the line by vouching for you. If they're just an assistant at an agency or a studio, then putting your script on someone's desk or something like that is a huge favor and a leap of faith. And if that script does, not Hold up to what they've said, it will reflect on them and their judgment. So just be very careful about straight up asking for those introductions. If they're not being offered freely, sometimes it might be better to wait.
0: Yeah, I would also say that it's a question of timing. I mean, you got to start building those general connections and meetings early on instead of waiting two days before staffing season begins in spring. And that does mean not waiting around if you think that the timing is right and there's actually a legitimate reason for approaching someone. Maybe you know that an executive is looking for a special set of skills that only you have. And at that point, you know what they're looking for, but you can also connect with someone else that can connect you to them directly.
1: Yeah, be mindful of those times of the year when people are going to be very busy in the midst of staffing season, development season, holidays, whatever it happens to be, we did a little calendar back in episode five as well, which you can check back to. So yeah, be approaching them when their plates are a little bit clearer and not trying to take up their bandwidth in the middle of their busiest time of year.
0: So we've looked at connections and cold emails. What's the final way you can get those meetings?
1: Well, it's through your reps. I would say the other most common way of getting the general meetings and especially staffing meetings is through agents and managers. So managers can pretty easily get you generals and so can agents, but where agents shine is getting you those actual job interview staffing meetings with showrunners and higher-ups. So agencies actually coordinate across their entire staff as to which shows are looking for writers, what level and flavor of writers they're looking for. And then they discuss at these whole company meetings, which of their clients would be the best fit to submit to those shows. And that's so they can give the writer and the agency the best chance of booking that gig. They may not submit everyone who can theoretically do it because they don't want to overwhelm the showrunner or the execs with scripts to read. They're just taking their best shots. The way this works is there are certain agents at the company that will cover particular shows or networks so the showrunner isn't getting a call from literally every agent at CAA pitching their individual clients it's just this one agent that they keep going back to they're called covering agents and they have a really good rapport with the showrunners and the execs on each of those shows they're in constant Mm -hmm. communication with them about their needs they may not be your personal point agent that you are familiar with but they will submit you on behalf of the agency and then go back and forth with your point agent as the opportunities arise
0: Just watch Entourage and know that it's the exact opposite of that.
1: (laughs) That's always a good uh, piece of advice to take. So we know what kind of meetings you can take and how to get them, but how do you prepare going into this meeting before you're in the room?
0: Well, the number one job you got to do before you're in the room is to do your research. You got to know who you're meeting with, be it an executive or a showrunner. That means you got to research them know the credits. In fact, everyone in LA has maybe given an interview or has an IMDB or LinkedIn profile. Whatever it is, try to find commonalities in people as in connections as well as interest. If you can, actually try to find connections between your own writing and past work and theirs. That means you can ask writer friends or reps what they know about that person, especially if they met them before. Obviously, you gotta Google stalk them a little bit. Now, if you're meeting at a network or on a show, you gotta know the content. That means you gotta watch a number of episodes to familiarize yourself with what they offer. If it's a new show, read obviously the pilot script. You'll be able to talk about specifics of that show, especially if they themselves discuss in the meeting changes that they want to make in the future, then at that point you'll know what they're talking about in the first place.
1: So while you'll wanna get to know more about these executives, don't take it to the level where it's creepy. Um, (laughs) Public information like where they worked Previously, that's all out there, that's totally fine. But if you've gone and maybe stalked them on Facebook, don't bring up any personal details you shouldn't really know, like if they've got kids or who their husband is or something like that. If you do see that you have mutual friends, what I'd recommend is reach out to your mutual friends and then mention casually in the course of conversation that oh, I've got this meeting coming up with this person. And then they're like, Oh, I know them, and you're like, Oh, cool, you you know, they'll put in a good word for you. Then you can bring it up when you're in the meeting and be like, oh, I was just chatting this thing, and funny coincidence, this came up, rather than being like, I looked you up on Facebook, and I know that we have three friends in common.
0: (laughs) I saw your kid at Hollywood (laughs) High School this morning. Exactly. I love the blue backpack he was (laughs) wearing. Oh, God.
1: (laughs) You know, it's a small town, and if you're doing your networking properly, you very likely have someone in common with almost everyone you're
0: going to meet. Now, once you're arriving to that meeting, you got to be nice to everyone, even before stepping foot in that office. You do not know whose ears executives, EPs have. Maybe they actually value the opinion of their assistants or the person manning their desk. That means you should be nice to everyone in the real world, obviously, but especially in those locations like offices and so forth. Walls have ears. Also, if they offer it, take the water. I think it was mentioned in a previous episode, uh, the tracking board sort of winner T.A. Snyder mentioned this idea of taking the water. Your throat may get dry in that meeting. Like me right now, I'm gonna take a sip of water. Or maybe you're more comfortable holding something in your hands like a glass or water bottle. It's better to have it and not need it than the other way around. I mean, worst case, you have a free water bottle. I would love that, a free water getting, bottle. Getting
1: a $1.50 value out of here in general. Nice. So once you walk through that door and you're in the meeting itself, here are a couple of things that you should probably have down. First and foremost, you want to nail your little about me spiel. You want to be able to speak confidently about where you're from, where did you go to college, how long have you been writing, all that kind of stuff. For writing teams, they're always going to ask, how did you guys meet? So what you want to do is try to find out something that's unique, interesting, and memorable about you and and make that in the course of your about me. You know, execs take hundreds of these meetings every year. Stand out, but in an open and honest way. What cool experiences have you had that you can talk about? Did you grow up on a military base? Were you the world champion at Monopoly? You know, and I think that vulnerability to can be a good thing share something personal establish that trust between yourself and who you're meeting don't just hide behind a rehearsed facade
0: yeah if you're a world champion at monopoly i think i'm not gonna hire you but uh that's just me
1: (laughs) (laughs) what if the show is monopoly the tv series
0: I'm just going to throw myself out the window right <laughs> now. Yeah. I mean, as Nick said, the, the goal is to be personal and personable. There must be something that should stick out about you in a positive way. I mean, not in the Monopoly <laughs> way.
1: Smell really bad.
0: <laughs> oh boy. Um, I mean, for example, the fact that I'm an immigrant from Paris who won his green card at the lottery and then became a citizen recently actually listed those kinds of conversation organically. Now, what is that shiny, dangling, object in your story. Again, maybe it's your background, your experience, or odd adventures you've been in, whatever it is, you should know your narrative. Every writer has a pitch or a story about themselves. You can call it your life story or a personal log line, whatever the marketing term you need to be able to pitch yourself. Also important is to be able to connect with your writing or content. Why are you writing what you are writing? It's less about the actual content of the writing than the emotional connection to the material. In other words, make the person you're meeting with care about you and what you write. Especially if you're starting out and these are your first meetings, don't be afraid to rehearse that quote-unquote speech. you got to be prepared. Executives and showrunners love throwing broad questions at the beginning of the meeting, like, oh, so what's up? Or how did you end up here? Now, that can throw you off if you've never been in a meeting. And especially if you've never met them, some of those random questions may throw you off. I mean, what do you mean, what's up? I've never seen you before, Nick. Why are you telling me what's up every time I meet you?
1: <laughs> right, like, yeah, what have you been up to lately? Are they asking about your day or what you've been doing in the last few months as a writer or just like, you know... Or your life, it's story. A, it's, it's totally an open-ended question, so be prepared for that. Um, and I would say... Also, you don't want to be over-rehearsed. Uh, be prepared to be interrupted when you're, you're giving your spiel, because uh, they're probably going to chime in after a few sentences and ask more about something interesting you said. So just be prepared to elaborate and follow the flow of the conversation. General meetings are exactly that, a conversation. It's not a straight up pitch of who you are complete with a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, this isn't a TED talk, guys. <laughs> Another really important thing is just to be yourself in more than just the existential spiritual way. In, in the room, just let your personality and your voice show through. So many people just want to know, can you hang? It's really a big part of what
0: these meetings are about. Hold on, you mean like Sylvester Stallone in uh, Cliffhanger?
1: Uh, yes, sure. No, But uh, honestly, there are plenty of people who get consistent work in writer's rooms because they're friendly, likable, and they work well with other people, even if they may not be on the same level as some virtuoso writer geniuses. TV is such a collaborative interpersonal medium that this is as important, if not more important, than the actual words on the page once you've got yourself in that meeting or in a writer's room.
0: And that's exactly why, if you've ever thought oh why is this guy getting this feature why is this guy still staffed or why is this guy an ep on this on this show this movie or what have you it is because probably they're very friendly in person even though the writing may be considered hack adjacent (laughs) that's may not be the whole story yeah Um, they're good to work with then people will keep getting work and that's the point of that meeting is you got to be open, friendly, and flexible. If you think about it, a writer's room and television, in fact, is a collaborative environment. So don't just come off as this weird loner with a very specific, strange writing process. Like, oh, I can only write at like 12.53 p.m. with my notebook. Okay,
1: In my underpants on the roof of a Starbucks.
0: Wow, that sounds actually interesting. But uh, <laughs> the fact is you need to show you can actually adapt to whatever environment they offer. It's kind of like Survivor. That also means you got to be enthusiastic about the show or the project that they're bringing you in for. Don't try to pretend that this is the one script that is good on TV. You know, uh Pure Peace isn't really my thing, but I actually liked the pilot. That is pretty bad. It's like negging. (laughs) It's the worst kind of negging. Think about, speaking of negging, think about going on a date, and then the person in front of you says, you know people like you usually suck, but you're one of the good ones. (laughs) I mean, ultimately, you want to show that you're a cool, fun person that someone will want to hang out with for weeks, not some uh, douche hipster that hates everything. So
1: when you do get around to talking about your writing in the meeting, you want to make sure you know which sample of yours they have read, especially if it was your agent or your manager that submitted it to them and not you, and be able to give some background on it, like a personal connection, why you wrote it, what it's about thematically. You don't need or want to re-pitch or explain it to them because they've either already read it or they're pretending they have and don't want to be pressed on it, but uh, be prepared to say something more insightful about your work than just, oh, thanks, I hope you liked it.
0: What are your thoughts on page 23, the third <laughs> piece of dialogue? Should I have used dialogue? the comma there or semicolon? That's the classic general meeting conversation, oh, yeah, isn't it? No.
1: So, but also when you're chatting about writing, have ideas for what you're working on next, have kind of two or three cool log lines or ideas in the back of your head, but don't turn it into a hard pitch or go on and on about it unless they're expressing interest in you continuing or asking more questions about it. They just want to know that you are not a one trick pony. You're not resting on your laurels and you have tons of great ideas at the ready and you're working on new material all the time.
0: Yeah, I feel like this is especially true for general meetings. Now, separately if you're coming for a staffing meeting, you gotta know the pilot or script or the series that you're meeting for, as we said before. I mean, what characters do you relate to personally? What story elements did you love? Think about what you can add to the show, not just on a craft level, but on a personal level. I mean, experience, approach to life, whatever it is. Maybe it can just be about a specific character or the whole story, whatever it is, be ready to discuss it. And if they ask for your opinion, which may happen, believe it or not, it's always good to have some episode ideas. Now, episode ideas based on character over plot. TV is a character's medium, and it is very likely that the showrunners know where the story is headed more than you do, obviously. So offer sort of challenges for the characters to overcome instead of just plot points.
1: Yeah, you don't want to give them reasons to say no by being like, I really think the story should head in this direction, and it's the opposite of what is actually going to happen. And they're like, all right, this person is not going to fit in.
0: And again, it ties back to the whole flexibility. you got to be able to adapt to those curveballs that they throw at you. Now, if you're not enthusiastic about the show, Slap yourself right now and drink that Kool-Aid, okay? <laughs> you got to become enthusiastic about the show. There's always something you can find to like. Maybe it's a specific character, maybe a story, a theme, whatever it is. When you're in that meeting, you got to give yourself completely to that show. And be very careful about dissing any show,
1: especially that one, but also (laughs) other shows on other networks or things like that. You never know who knows who in this town. Just because this exec works for CW drama, they might be married to an exec over at CBS Comedy or their friend or family member works on that NBC show you just said was terrible. So it's always better to be positive about what you do like rather than negative about what you
0: don't. And again it goes back to the whole do your research and know who you're meeting with it's ultimately a small town now conversely don't lie and say that you love something just because they've worked on that project you got to be genuine in that meeting show the passion that you have for specific shows or content that they're involved in or maybe bring up elements of other shows you love that tie into what they're working on right now and the same can be said for personal elements you want to connect with the executive ep you're meeting with are they a huge fan of baseball? But you're not a fan of baseball. Don't be fake and say that you are a fan of baseball as well if you are not. Imagine they do hire you. What are they gonna do once you're in staff and you can't hold a conversation by the Dodgers? I mean, like George been, and Seinfeld doesn't for oh hyper- I don't know. <laughs> I'm already cringing. This is basically an episode of The Office yeah. that you're living in right now. That's this it. horrible. Horrible. I mean, honestly, sometimes the less you
1: talk about business, the better. Some of the best meetings I've had where we've just talked about ourselves and each other, common interests, their recent trip to Europe, whatever it happens to be. And writing and staffing barely came up at all, except for right at the end. We're like, oh, yeah, how can we help you guys? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, later on, when you reconnect with that person, They remember all those fun things and connections because it wasn't just another meeting about what can you do for me? Here's the business. I am a writer.
0: (laughs) Oh, totally. I mean, again, we've said it before. This is not as much a job interview per se as a conversation. People want to be around people who are not annoying. That often means people who are like themselves i mean we mentioned code switching in an earlier episode and this is a similar process obviously you want to be unique as a writer but that doesn't mean you should be controversial as a person There's still a difference in expectations though, between something in a general meeting and a staffing or shorner meeting. A general meeting is closer to a first date while a staffing meeting with the shorner is one of the last steps in that overall process, putting aside the network approval process. Now Jane Espenson actually describes the shorner meeting as the pants meeting. Essentially they've read your samples. They know you can write. Now they're just looking to see if you're a normal human being they can hang out with. The lesson here is wear pants.
1: Or a kilt or a skirt okay. or a jorts. No, maybe not jorts.
0: Jorts would be interesting. Shorts? Uh, oh, wait, what about a romper? A male romper. Oh, I feel like romp him? Isn't that what they're called? Ooh, romp him. <laughs> Good God. lord. Uh, let's just go with pants. <laughs> um, also, you gotta be ready to take the lead. Some EPs or executives will sometimes be relatively passive or waiting for you to tell them your story. Maybe they're just a new person or maybe they're actual a-holes just waiting for you to bury yourself. Whatever the case may be, you need to be comfortable leading the meeting and taking charge of the conversation. If you know what you want to say, and you should since you're prepared, then you can actually easily work that in the conversation with the executive.
1: Yeah, that's a good talent to demonstrate when you might have to be pitching your stories in the room as well. They want to know that you have that confidence to speak up and be able to talk about something intelligently. And on that note, I think that you should be preparing some questions of your own for them. It's a two-way street. They want to know more about you, but you should also want to find out more about them and their company. If it's a general, you know, how long have you been working here? What shows do you supervise? What's coming down the pipeline? What are you excited about? All that kind of stuff. If it's for a showrunner meeting to get on staff, you probably don't know what's been happening in the last. Season, you might want to ask a few questions about that if they can talk about it. Even just what are you watching on TV? What films have you seen recently is a classic go to to get a little more idea about their tastes and their interests while connecting over something you maybe have in common.
0: Basically, be a person. That's the whole point of this podcast. Put on
1: pants, be a person. Good
0: Lord. If and when you sense the meeting is kind of slowing down or the conversation is dying, maybe your best move is to end the meeting and get out on a high instead of just this fizzle. Don't be afraid to be the one wrapping up the meeting, especially if it's some busy or high-level executive or EP, assuming, again, you've said your piece before that. So you've had that meeting, that awesome meeting. What are you going to be doing right after, Nick?
1: Well, you should try to get their business card. They will usually offer it, but now you'll have their email to be able to keep in touch. I'd recommend saying a thank you slash nice to meet you email a few days to a week afterwards. And then you can feel free to check in again every few months with updates on what you've been up to, your accomplishments, what you've been working on, new material, all that kind of thing. Even if your agent or manager is also staying in touch with them, cultivating that personal relationship is really useful. And so to do that, you want to be genuinely interested and congratulatory about what they've been up to, both personally and professionally. So you should be keeping an eye on deadline, those kind of things for projects that they have announced, shows they have coming up, so that you can be in the front of their mind for when
0: they're considering staffing. And speaking of thank you notes, I mean, some people actually use handwritten notes to executives or EPs to thank them for their time. And maybe that is a little bit overboard for some, but it actually can be pretty memorable than an email, assuming that that meeting that you had was very successful or interesting or unique instead of some generalities. But either way, the important thing here is you gotta be sincere with your thanks.
1: Also after the meeting, if you have an agent or a manager, you wanna call or email them to debrief them on the meeting. Go over, what did you guys discuss? What projects did they bring up and stuff that's coming down the pipeline? You'll often get snippets of information that haven't been officially announced and this is incredibly valuable for your rep to know and stay on top of. For example, they might have a new show getting a green light next month, and your agent can make sure that you're the first in line to be read for staffing on that. Your rep will also often call the exec after the meeting and get the honest take on how the meeting went, so that exec can let them know if you maybe made any faux pas or what you could do better in your next meeting if something was awkward, or else just how much they enjoyed meeting you, and uh, you know what else they, of yours they want to read or stay in touch for. I think this is especially important for staffing and showrunner meetings when there is something on the line there's an outcome to this meeting your agent is going to get the the actual you know hot take on whether it was just your personalities that didn't mesh or your sample wasn't quite right or they just had someone else that was a better fit for it
0: or you did not have pants for some reason
1: (laughs) yes you came in with no (laughs) pants otherwise you would have had the job
0: Oh boy. In fact, I mean, for those meetings, don't be afraid to kind of pull out the stops if it's a meeting you really care about. That may mean asking favors of higher level people you know so they can recommend you. For example, if a high level executive producer or shorner makes a call to his shorner friend and vouchers for you, it actually can make a huge difference between getting the job and losing it.
1: Exactly. And your reps will usually make sure that you are known to all of the decision makers. That's the showrunner, the network execs, the studio execs, the production company execs, slash producers. If they have all met you and they like you, that's fantastic. But if you know people who know them, it never hurts to get in touch and maybe have them drop a call or an email in and say, Hey, I heard you met with Alex. Oh, isn't he great? He's a really talented young writer and a nice guy to boot. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not about nepotism, it's almost more about minimizing risk on their end. If they can see that you you have made a good impression on that many people at those levels then and those folks are willing to vouch for you then that's a much smaller chance you're secretly a talentless jerk who managed to slip Ooh. through the cracks or you're going to turn into the hulk in the writer's room and things don't go your way and smash things
0: speaking of smashing things i mean finally you should not take things personally if you do not get staffed or don't get the position you're going after it's probably not about you i mean this may sound actually contradictory to everything we've said until now since the whole meeting phase should be very personal. But the reality is they may have said no for mailing factors outside of just who you are. Maybe the network wanted to get someone from their fellowship program. Maybe they had to cut some of the budget. Maybe the showrunner wanted to hire his long lost nephew that he just met that week. I mean, whatever (laughs) it is, go grab a drink with your friends and celebrate the fact that you had an actual meeting in the first place because that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's actually a huge accomplishment to even get that far up to a showrunner meeting and be considered like pat yourself on the back and get ready for the next one because this is what your career is going to be is meeting after meeting and potential disappointment after disappointment. But eventually things will click and it'll happen. So you got to be prepared for that. On to the next meeting. So, what are the takeaways from this episode?
0: Wear pants. I think that's a big takeaway. That's it. We're done. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs> uh, number one general meetings and staffing meetings are the bread and butter of your career as a TV writer, and you should put as much time and effort into being good in a room as you do in your own writing.
1: Number two, do your research and know how to talk about yourself, but also go with the flow and let your personality shine through. This is still an interpersonal connection being made, not just
0: a business transaction. And speaking of number three, meetings should be conversations, not just job interviews. Be prepared to take the lead and ask them questions as well. And lastly,
1: number four, be personal and personable. When building their writer's rooms, showrunners are looking for people they want to spend weeks and months with. So be that kind of person. And do we have any resources this week, Nick? Yeah, uh, there is a book called Good in the Room by Stephanie Palmer, who was a former MGM exec. She also has a TED Talk style speech that she did for Google available online, which we'll put a link to in the show notes with some of those key lessons from the book. How about you? Resources for us, Alex?
0: Well, over the past few weeks, I've been playing around with a service called X.ai. It is essentially a personal assistant, except it's not a person, But an AI. Wow. I want to buy the feature. Feature, Write it for me. Uh, X.ai is actually the service, but the assistant is named Amy. In other words, Amy is literally a virtual assistant. You're basically ceasing her to any email. And Amy will handle the tedious back and forth that happens whenever you're trying to coordinate a meeting time with another person. You sync her with your appointments, your calendar, phone number, whatever someone may need to schedule a meeting with you. And then the AI uses that data to chat with the other person and schedule a meet on your behalf. It's actually surprisingly intuitive since Amy's responses sound human, but more importantly, she picks up on people's speech patterns. So if someone replies, let's meet this Thursday morning, she'll figure out what that means with context and schedule things appropriately. Now the free version allows you to schedule up to Five meetings a month, and then the paid one, which is thirty-nine a month, currently allows for unlimited meetings and other professional features.
1: So basically, you're saying all of the entertainment industry assistants are going to be out of the job because of robots
0: for only thirty-nine dollars a month. Yes. With that said, if you're a writer or someone that doesn't have an assistant, I feel like this is very useful to sort of automate the whole process and streamline everything. I'm not saying top-level executives should use this process yet, but If you're scheduling a bunch of meetings and Joel's, I feel like this is pretty simple and uh, streamlines the whole idea. Very
1: interesting. Until it becomes self-aware and starts trying to destroy humanity through your CCs.
0: Yeah, but at that point, you have a cool logline for your next script.
1: (laughs) Well, that brings us to the end of our episode. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And also to all of the AI robots for tuning
0: in. (laughs) Oh, boy, that sounds ominous. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co/slash slash 62. And if you want to leave us a review, you should. Uh, You can do that
1: at paperteam.co slash iTunes. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. And if you want to leave any feedback, thoughts, opinions, robot AI hate mail, you can do that at ask at paperteam.co.
0: What are we doing next week? Well, next week, we're inviting my friend Matt Lenius who's an assistant at CA. We've been talking about meetings this entire episode, but now we're going to be talking about the guy scheduling the meeting and probably losing his job because I was going to say, you're going to
1: tell him that he's out of the job? Pretty
0: soon, pretty soon. I think <laughs> yeah. we're going to tell him live on the podcast. So definitely tune in we'll for that. Get his boss on the phone just to do, to do it live for us. That's going to be amazing. You don't want to miss that episode <laughs> yeah. next week. Tune in for that. See you. Then. Bye.